You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Code Podcast. I am so thrilled to have one of my colleagues in the Offscript Health Network, Dr. Mitzi Crockover. She is the host of the Beyond the Paper Gown podcast. She's an internist, specializes in women's health, and we are going to talk about some really fun stuff today. We're, we're kind of going to co-host because she she's a host, <laughs> I'm a host, and so you're, we're kind of just going to be going back and forth and a little bit of interviewing each other, but you're far more interesting than I am. So I'll, I'll basically hope be talking <laughs> to you. But, uh, thank you so much for coming, Dr. Crockover. Oh, thank you very much for having me. For so a big thing we want to talk about today is legislation, policy, things that affect women's health that we don't even realize we're voting for. And one thing I've been working with Dr. Crockover recently on a webinar that she's having in October. So we're going to talk about that and, you know, webinar for everybody. You don't have to be a healthcare professional, but um, just so curious how, where, where are you now in your career and how did you get into this part of medicine? Sure. So um, I'll try to make this not a shaggy dog story, but in any case, um, I was practicing at UCLA in the Department of Medicine, and there was a group of us that had really wanted to focus on women's health. And luckily, Iris Cantor uh, became our benefactor and said, let's create a women's health center. Mm -hmm. And so I was asked to lead that initiative. And we developed an internal medicine-based women's health center, but certainly with our colleagues from all the subspecialties uh, joining in as well in kind of a virtual women's health center, if you will. And um, we became a center of excellence in women's health. Uh, we taught medical students, residents, and even faculty. And it was a, again, wonderful experience. I then went on uh, to Humana, where I was vice president of women's health. And I you know, was fascinated by how could we impact on women's health on a larger scale. And so that was a great opportunity. And fast forward, I was being um, consulted for my clinical expertise, if you will, by some of these burgeoning women's health companies. And the light bulb went on, off for me that said, you know, this is the next way that we're going to impact on women's health because these were mostly women mm -hmm. who couldn't find answers for their own literal pain points, and they were creating those solutions. And so I literally wanted to be invested so I joined Golden Seeds, which is an angel investment organization that focuses on women-led companies. Mm -hmm. And we have a health sector group that looks at everything from uh, life sciences all the way to wellness, medical devices, pharma, and all of that. I co-lead that, but obviously my sweet spot is women's health. And I've become very immersed, if you will, in that ecosystem because there's so much going on. You probably have heard the term femtech. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so... Uh, it's been very exciting to see. Um, but one of the things that uh, I've always known, both as a practitioner and, you know, in my other uh, professional endeavors, is that women's health is not just, as you well know um, from your practice, just not the medical conditions that we 
experience, but it's all those factors that mm-hmm. also impact on our health, whether it be, to be quite frank, gender or racial bias mm-hmm. um, in our practitioners or in the system, uh, certainly the amount of research or lack of research that's been done on women's health issues, and as we've all gotten schooled, the impact of policy and politics, if you will, on women's health. And also that research, but also that innovation that comes from that, that we're seeing in these entrepreneurs is also positively impacting women's health. So I wanted to talk about those factors in a way that made it uh, obvious for folks to understand, you know, again, it's not just one thing. So that's how I created Beyond the Paper Gown. That's so, it's awesome. And it's a really great, great podcast. And you did some really hard episodes, you know, during and around all of the the Roe v. Wade discussion and around even just privacy, how that's impacting our, our private lives as women. And, oh my gosh, going into the, the Facebook message um, episode that happened and, and talking about the incredible invasion of privacy and, and, and all that it was just really, really fascinating. Um, but, okay, I want to go back to Humana because I have got to know being a physician and then being on the other side, you know, we all do these prior authorizations. I don't know if, I don't even know if patients know this half the time, but if you've ever had to have anything, be it a medicine or sometimes it's a scan or any test. And if insurance doesn't, you know, necessarily want to pay for it, then somebody has to do what's called a prior authorization, which means one of us has to get on the phone and talk to another healthcare provider that works for the insurance company and kind of make your case uh, on why, why you want to do it and why it may not fit into their algorithm, but you need to do it anyway. Um, being in cancer had to do that, you know, kind of all the time. Um, and I understood it, you know, I mean, I, I get it. There are a lot of people that order a lot of unnecessary tests and we would see that, you know, why on earth did they get this CT? This is not indicated, but being a physician and then working with an insurance company, what was that like? Was it difficult or were you, did you feel like you could have an impact being being a physician and working with Humana and kind of changing the, the culture around things? Or what, what was that like? I have no clue. I'm like so fascinated by the inside of an insurance company. <laughs> you know, at the time that I was there, you know, your thoughts, it's like, you know, did I go to the dark side, right? And I didn't feel that way. Yeah. I, you know, when I was at UCLA, we were practicing in a heavily managed care environment. And we would literally have meetings about what's the best evidence-based path of care. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we were, you know, we did have a, a limited pot of you know money, if you will, because at that time it's called capitation. You get so much money per patient. Yeah. But we knew in the long run, if we did the right thing, that it would um, it would be beneficial for everybody. And so when I went to Humana, I had that idea that you could um, certainly, that managed care was not necessarily evil, that it was a response to managing limited resources. Mm-hmm. And so when I was there, um, again, it's a longer story, but uh, before I got there, there was a uh, case that had come up about a woman who had been diagnosed with carcinoma in situ, which mm-hmm. as you know, is kind of pre-cancer, like pre-cancer. of the cervix. Mm-hmm. And she was in her thirties and this has all been publicized. So I'm not telling any tales out of school. And her doctor had said she needed a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Humana at the time had said, you know, it's carcinoma in situ. Let's send this out to other practitioners to review the pathology, to review. And everybody came back and said, no, let's just do a limited biopsy, which would take care of that area that was problematic. And then we could look to see if there had been any spread. And so they kept pushing back and um, she did get the cone biopsy. The margins were clear, but because of the pressure that was being put upon her, uh, being put upon, you know, the situation, I I believe a hysterectomy was, um, was, was done. And she still, because she was a federal employee, sued Humana for not, um, not doing what was requested of by the doctor. And it didn't take long, but they um, came back with a judgment against Humana. I'm so intrigued by that. Y'all, let me tell you about my absolute favorite home store of all time, Celadon. So they have everything from dinnerware to pillows, furniture, they even have jewelry. And yes, it's located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, but their website has everything you could possibly need and they ship anywhere. So Celadon has like a laid back but curated vibe and no joke, almost every piece of furniture in our home has come from Celadon. So if you're in Charleston, definitely stop by or visit them online at celadonathome.com. And because they are awesome, they gave me a 20% discount code. So check them out and use code DABBLECO20 for 20% off. That's celadonathome.com. I know, but it was, it shows you the level of distrust, for example. But for me, it was like, not only did she have her doctor and a second opinion, but she had a second, third, and fourth opinion that because we sent it out, I shouldn't say we, because again, this predated my coming on. I was asked to take a look at this just again, just to kind of opine. And I thought this is, we're doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. And yet, because there was such distrust. So it really, you know, so, so when it works, it could work very well. It's not to say that there haven't been problems with insurance companies, but what I think you've also seen, and we did this as well, is look at programs where we can improve the health of our members, if you will, as an insurance mm-hmm. executive. And um, and because that's good for everybody in terms of it reduces health care cost, but it's also about improving health. I will also, again, when I was there, there was a prenatal program that identified high-risk OB patients and then did case management. Mm-hmm. And the the NICU admissions were reduced by 17%. Um, there were better thing. outcomes. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, we also had uh, clients that were large and large employers for which we did what's called third-party administration. And so we did some programs for them. So I developed a lactation program, one of the first corporate lactation programs. Mm-hmm. And we rolled that out for our employees. Um, So again, uh, you know, it was really interesting. I just go back. I was actually interviewed on the Today Show about that whole situation. Mm -hmm. And it was very odd because here I was, I had just come from academia, had taken the position, again, because of my uh, real desire to do good for not just the patients that I was working with, but, you know, a, a larger group of patients through... Um, our membership, 
And because of where I was sitting, I had become the evil person. And I thought that was very unfortunate. Um, But uh, again, I got a chance to see, and I made this point, um, is that we had uh, thousands of employees and those employees came every day to work to to really do their job but also to to do the right thing and so to to you know just um you know cover it with one brush stroke was was very unfortunate and it wasn't in the in the best interest i think what you're now seeing i've been out of the insurance business for a long time but what you're now seeing is that companies are becoming health companies as opposed to insurance companies hmm. and so if i can you know, we see a lot of entrepreneurs, for example, that are that had these great digital solutions for different things, and they look to these health companies um, or insurance companies as their potential clients, mm-hmm. so that they can help manage, you know, pain points for their membership. And you look at everything from digital health, um, whether it be a diabetes program or a fertility program or even a sleep apnea program, you know, these companies are potential partners in disseminating, you know, some of these, uh, these opportunities. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I think insurance and kind of what we were saying before about utilization of limited resources, we think, we, we just think we have all the resources in the world and that we should just be able to get anything we want anytime. Um, and like you said, that really drives up the cost of, of healthcare. It, it does. And so it's, you know, you're, I'm sure you're in an incredibly difficult position where you are trying to do the right thing and the best things for patients, but also somebody's got to kind of, you know, control it, sure. or you really do but, have people ordering right. things that they don't need and that an x-ray would be fine, but I'm going to get a CT and that's a several thousand dollar jump, you know? Um, and that's more radiation. I mean, everything yeah. has consequences. The most right. expensive thing is not necessarily the best thing. Right. Um, you and I were talking right before um, we came on about, you know, uh, bone marrow transplant for yeah. women with breast cancer, stage four breast cancer. And there was a, um, Again, this was quite a while ago, but there was an article that suggested that that was positive and it got a lot of hype and, and, and even legislators got on board to say, you have to pay for this. And what was happening is that that almost promoted that Mm -hmm. when in fact, especially with, with new data to show that it really wasn't the panacea that folks were, but then you had these women being uh, encouraged or even urged to have a very uh, difficult grueling. procedure. It's grueling. grueling. Exactly. That didn't necessarily help them in their, what could have been literally their last months of life. Yeah. So it, you, again, it just goes to show that when we're looking at medicine and healthcare, we really have to look at all the aspects, if you will, um, to make sure it's the right, you know, we have this thing, as you well know, again, the, the triple aim or the quadruple aim, right care, right place, right time. Yeah. And that's really a, a mantra that uh, serves us well if, we, if we're able to follow it. Well, so going back to the, the bone marrow and how it, gosh, so quickly got into politics and legislation and, you know, it's remarkable how quickly things can get pushed through 
when it's good for every, you know, I'm using like air quotes, good for everybody. Like it's good for the left and good for the right. You know, everybody cares about women and breath with breath with breast cancer. So let's push this thing through. We all look great. When in reality, like you said, it was one, one article. If it was, it wasn't even a study or was it like just yeah, a, it was a study. A, a, yeah. And it could, could have been one, you know, one thing or a huge study who knows, but somehow it got pushed through. And so how, how did we, how have we gotten to a place where we're legislating healthcare. I, I, it's, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So true. You know, it's interesting. I was at a conference and someone made this point and it was just so simply eloquent. We don't legislate by data. We legislate by anecdote. Feelings. And so, and you can actually use that if you're mm-hmm. advocating, right? So that's, you know, so that's the positive, but unfortunately there's so much emotion that gets into it and say you've got a legislate you, you know somebody comes in with their story the staff is 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 moved the 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 lawmaker is moved and they think okay we've got to do this and and i think that the the inclination is very positive but again because of time because of so many factors they don't take the time to really go into the data and so you know, or this this specific lawmaker may have an Aunt Susie who's had Alzheimer's right. and finds that this, you know, we're not paying for, you know, treatment B. So why aren't we, tra- you know, paying for treatment B and not really looking at the implications and the whole picture? And I think it's very um, human, you know, if you will, to do that. But right. when, again, we go back to our limited resources um, or it could be expedient. You know, it's going to look good if I do this, you know, mm-hmm. and if I'm a lawmaker and I, and I, I, I take this stand and, you know, I think that, um, you know, abortion is a really good example of that in terms of the way that there's been, um, you know, it's, it's either on or off as opposed to looking at all the ramifications and, um, really looking at, how to deal with those other ramifications before you make legislation that is so all-encompassing. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit before, and I said, you know, when we talk about, let's talk about policy, and I know, you know, I know my audience, and yes, I've, I've talked about it in the series um, when that decision first was, well, before it even came out, and then when it did come out, and there were so many women that when I had um, uh, women's health, that she literally did a fellowship. It was an OBGYN who did a fellowship in um, family planning and abortion care. And she came on and just gave just facts, just facts. I said, and I said to her before she came on, she was great. I said, I listen, I'm, I'm afraid if we talk about you know, feelings, anecdotes, where any, where either of us stand, I was like, we're going to lose both sides. I I think I'll lose some of my, you know, very conservative listeners. I'll definitely lose some of my very um, liberal listeners. And I was like, I just want to talk about the facts of what this could change for women in terms of actual, you know, healthcare from miscarriage care to, uh, you know, septic pregnancy issues, ectopic pregnancy issues, uh, placental abruption. I mean, there's a million different examples that you could give of how this could dramatically change the the woman's outcome. And let's just talk about that. And I had 
so many women reach out to me and, and say, I, I just had never thought about that. I just never thought, you know, you, you hear, like you said, we were legislating on anecdotes, not data. So you hear this, you know, extremely compelling, heartbreaking story, whether you're, you know, pro-choice or pro-life, you're, you're hearing these incredibly emotional stories on both sides. And we're legislating based on that and not really just the true data of, of how this could impact health situations for women, women across the board. Um, and we're going to, I think you, I think, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. So what are some of the policies that, that you're wanting women to understand more and, and that you see coming down the pipeline? Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash u slash dabbleco and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you will just be prompted to confirm Dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash U, like the letter U, slash Dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. Sure. Well, with respect to abortion, but then I'll I'll go uh, farther than that, you know, as you know, I did a, a webinar that was four panels to focus on some of the different areas that mm-hmm. just this Dobbs decision and then the subsequent states' decisions would impact. Um, and first and foremost is certainly access to uh, an abortion. And for many women, it's an economic issue. And so you've got women that can't literally can't afford um, another child, and they may already have dropped out of school Um, dropped out of the workforce. And not only are they continuing to be impoverished, but so are their children. And it's a generational kind of opportunity uh, issue. Um, And in fact, um, economists have have, have proven that. But then to your point about, you know, again, pregnancy and the need for sometimes um, what's basically an abortion. But let's even go farther upstream. If you're in a state that does not allow abortions, then perhaps that training um, program for OBGYNs does not include abortion care. And if you are pregnant and you go to that individual and you're having a problem, that provider is not adequately trained to take care to help of an you. emergency situation. Yeah. And we have OBGYN deserts, if you will, meaning we we're, we're, oh, we we yeah. don't have enough OBGYNs as it as it is. Um, we're also there were entire counties in South Carolina that did not have an OB. Did literally the whole count did not have an OB. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, that's just wild. terrifying. Yeah, um, and then you're not getting more, and then you're seeing um, physicians thinking, why would I want to do this if I'm going to be either looked over my shoulder or potentially even arrested or fined? You know or anything like that. So it, again, the, the ripple implications of this. Then you have issues of privacy, as you talked about. Um, what information do I give now, not just on reproductive health apps, 
But if I'm on a migraine app and it tells me, ask me when my last period is, and then you've got people that Ooh, are gosh, brokering this information. That. Yeah, I mean, and so, or somebody was said, had brought up the point that at a radiology, you know, if you're looking, you know, um, filling like out something for radiology, yeah. you know, they ask you when your last period was in case, you know, you don't want to be pregnant and, and give uh, an unborn, and expose an unborn um, fetus to, a, to radiation. So, and then you've got these data brokers who are literally selling information illegally. Mm-hmm. So where are the, you know, where are the guardrails for that from a legislative standpoint? And I can go on and on, but the, you know, I, I will, I, I will go on and on for really a quick second. <laughs> you, that's what the point is. Go on and about, on. Yeah. Entrepreneurship. You know, these yeah. are women's health companies who are already struggling to get, in some cases, funding, you know, because it's always, again, kind of falling behind. Now people are going, oh, I don't know if I want to put my money into that. It's a little too risky. Yeah. Or you've got products that can't be promoted in the work in the um, marketplace. And that's a whole other story. It's not necessarily because of abortion, but because women's health um, kind of go through these filters on these social media algorithms. And they, you know, because they say maybe vagina or something, you know, or, or something that's oh, considered sexual. it doesn't even have to be that bad. You know, do you know, you know, Hallie Teco that did, sure. does um, Heart of Healthcare and she founded Natalist. Their original right. logo had a little uterus on the flag. It got rejected by Facebook. So you can't use it on Facebook or Instagram. They cannot use that logo because it had a literal, just an outline of a uterus. Like didn't even say Absolutely. the word uter nothing which yeah. not the uterus is a bad word i mean my gosh but yeah you literally know, I, it it got rejected and i interviewed the um founder of center for intimacy justice who deals with this issue and there's also this uh thing called shadow banning so sometimes right. women's health companies will send out their advertising pay for advertising and it never gets seen by it anybody goes nowhere. because right. the algorithm just pushes it aside yeah. so those are, you know, again, and there's legislation now pending about, you know, dealing with that. So to go back to your point, which was a while ago, and I apologize, you know, there's so much that we don't understand that is literally folk is that impacts on women's health that we don't think about and um, and is legislated. Uh, I'll give you a couple of, of quick examples. Again, we talked about clinical practice and clinical training. Um, so we have that kind um, information, the kind of insurance um, mm-hmm. coverage, because we know that access to care increases if somebody has insurance. And what we found is that the Amer- uh, that the Affordable Care Act that covered contraception, effective forms of contraception, and preventive services showed that there were fewer abortions mm-hmm. and that this, because those preventive services like pap smears and mammograms were covered, you actually had um, less less cancers, if you will, or that they were diagnosed at earlier stages mm-hmm. when they're more curable. Um, we're looking at Medicaid, where um, you know so many women uh, that are uh, that are impoverished uh, get their health care insurance. It wasn't uh, postpartum. I think it was only what thirty days or sixty days were covered postpartum. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women were losing their coverage at a time when they're most vulnerable, especially for postpartum depression. And, you know, think about, you know, you have kids, I have kids. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even think about not having access to, to health care if I, you know, right after um, that vulnerable time. 
So we're looking at equity, we're looking at access. Um, funding for research mm -hmm. depends on budgets that are passed by Congress. If the Congress doesn't pass a budget for research and doesn't designate research in women's health issues, that research doesn't get done. If that research doesn't get done, it yeah. doesn't, there's no information to put in the journals. There's no information for, for clinicians to find to put it into practice. And so that's why we had this huge gender gap, if you will, in women's health, because it wasn't until 1993 or 94 that there was actually, again, another legislative mandate that said that women and underrepresented people had to be included in clinical trials in order to get funded. And it wasn't until 2015, I believe, that there's now a mandate that they, when they look at um, animal studies, like the preclinical studies with mice, mm -hmm. that those mice have to include female mice because they were still right. using just male mice. And so you can't extrapolate anything about a woman from, from research done on a, a male mouse. So those kinds of things are, again, um, things that are policy decisions. Um, when we look at innovation, if there's not federal support for entrepreneurs in terms of grants and things like that, we don't get that research and that innovation to market. And then we just talked about then if they're at market and they can't advertise, then mm -hmm. we can't get it to the public. All of those are policy decisions. One more area and certainly for women, there's a lot of social and environmental factors, but certainly violence against women is a health issue for women. Yeah, for A sure. positive is that we have the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act that then gives more support to first responders to, again, combat um, when one in four women are victims of domestic violence in this country every year. Um, uh, we have Title IX that included you could not um, discriminate on the basis of gender or sexual orientation or even pregnancy. We mm -hmm. had a 1,000% increase in the number of girls and students who joined into sports, and that's certainly good for health and well-being. So legislation matters mm -hmm. and voting matters. And I'll well, so voting is coming up in November. <laughs> no, I, I think it's so important because I, I do think a lot of us just kind of pick our issues that we we think are important or just kind of what gets the most, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and, and what gets yes. put out there the most. And so I'm listening to you talk about all these things. I'm like, gosh, okay, no, November's coming up. And what, what are we looking for? Like, what do you look for in your candidate? Because, you know, in their commercials or their pamphlets or whatever, they're going to talk about big issues, but they may not necessarily talk about these these other things that are going to come up when they're in Congress or it, the Senate's not this year, right? It's just Congress, I think, but no, we have um, Senate too. We, we have do Senate here in, um, in Arizona I'm, for sure. I'm the worst. Um, it's okay. So well, I'm like, tell I mean, you, I'm asking you, I'm like, tell me, what am I looking for? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, no. I mean, it's a really good point. And I will tell you, and I, cause I just saw the statistic and I can't give you the numbers, but we are electing in this election, everything from everyone from senators, congresspeople, governors, but yeah. also downstream. The state legislators, as we see now, state legislation is so important, especially right. to women's health. And I wanted to make one point before I go into this answer. 
because I think it really bears just underlining no matter what we're talking about. Our maternal mortality rate in this country is the worst of any developed country in the world. And it's getting worse. So again, add to that anxiety I talked about with, I think I told you, you know, I have two girls and, you know, at the point where they're going to get pregnant, I I, I worry for them to a certain extent. And I you worry, worry about the, because, the training of, of who's taking care of them. I worry about the training, but I also worry in this environment where we're already behind the ball. Yeah. And black women bear the brunt of Particularly, this. Particularly, They yeah. have, you know, the most uh, uh, risk when it comes to being pregnant. And so they're is, for example, the Moms Act, which just was enacted to, again, um, provide some support and, and, and improvement in this area. And so things like that, that people can, I think everybody agrees that we should keep our, our, our pregnant women safe mm-hmm. and, our, and, and, and help our families. And so that would be one way I would you know, ask a, a, any kind of official that is going for an election, you know, what do you think about this? And again, I don't know that with all the rancor and everything else, if, uh, and, and the need for headlines, and now we're getting, you know, to the finish line, if there are uh, real opportunities to make these specific issues, but it's good to bring them up. And we're mm-hmm. going to as you know, maybe we'll talk about it in just a moment. We're going to have a webinar looking at these issues, and mm-hmm. then we're going to have some very specific ways that people can engage. And one of those things is that we're going to have a checklist of women's health issues that you can ask those elected or, or those candidates. If at the very least, at least it starts the conversation. So mm-hmm. when one of those becomes an elected official and you go back to them and remind them that this is an issue that you as a constituent feel is important and you bring the data and you bring your your story about why it's important, you know, it, it, it's not just all going to happen on November 8th, right? Yeah. Um, this is an ongoing process. But at least if we can start the conversation now and really be aware of what the issues are and ask those questions. Um, and again, I think that there are some very charged issues as we've talked about, but there's lots of issues that we can all agree on, that we want healthy women, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we want um, healthy moms, that we, you know, again, it's good for the, it's good for us, it's good for the economy, um, especially Somebody's when Somebody's got to get at, everything done. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> caretakers, you know, the majority of people are caretakers and the majority of people that are caretaking People with Alzheimer's are women, but the mm-hmm. majority of people with Alzheimer's are women. Yeah. So yeah. it's all very interrelated. It is. And and I think too, you can also look at if you're if you're voting in an election where someone's already, you know, previously held office, you can look at their voting records and see Absolutely. You know, see what they did in their previous term or terms and whether you agree with that and whether it lines up with with what you, you know, are, are hoping to see in terms of policy, policy change for health. But I saw, um, I love TikTok. 
so much. Um, it's, <laughs> it's funny. It's educational. It's, I love it. Yes. But I saw, I saw a video the other day and it was um, a young black woman who was pregnant and went to it. And her OB was also a young black female. And she said, she put me on aspirin today. And when she asked her why, she said, listen, I'm going to tell you, it's not because of your, your race, like your race, you know, yes, you're black, but it's because of literally racism. And she said, it's not your race that puts you at high risk because you being black is, is the risk in terms of like, you know, uh, pathophysiology, but she's saying you're at high risk because like you said, you're, you're a black woman and their maternal mortality and their, their care, the care that they receive, we know is, is subpar. Like that has been shown. Um, like you said, their mortality is significantly higher than it should be. And she was like, are you serious now? Like that's, that's now a risk factor. It's just racism, oh, racism in, is in medicine. Definitely a public health issue. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And you know, again, so is gender bias, right? So if right. you're a black woman, you've got a double whammy. Double. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast. I've talked about it on mine. You know, the whole idea, and I think it's a little strong, but medical ga- gaslighting. And I think in yeah. your intro, I, I was listening to your your intro podcast um, episode that talked about how you go into a doctor's office and you come back and you feel frustrated and yeah. maybe you don't feel heard. And again, there's, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, and some of it is implicit bias and some of it is explicit bias, if you will. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other, we can, we can have a whole other episode on that, but that's where it goes back to again, training and is that being dealt with? Um, but we also know that there are certain risk factors like preeclampsia is, is, is more frequent in, in black women. And so we need to be aware of those kinds of things, um, so that we can address them. And, you know, the, the, you know, I think the most, um, you know, Serena Williams yeah, was notable example. Know, again, yeah. Um, that that example of, you know, she knew something was wrong. She said it. Um, but it just wasn't addressed. Uh did she have a clot? Um, what what was her mm-hmm. did she I have think a DVT? She had a, a, a pulmonary I think she had a DVT or a pulmonary embolus. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. And and so that's kind of what we're saying if y'all are like, what are you talking about? So it's <laughs> it's that these women, we, you know, they, they have higher risks, but are essentially believed less. So their risk of serious complication from something that, you know, could be taken care of, like she had a a clot. And then instead of them believing her that something was going on, she was essentially ignored. And my God, she is one of the, if not most famous black women of all, like ever. I mean, I don't know, maybe Famous woman. like, mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, yeah, women, I mean, golly. And so if she can't even get adequate treatment and healthcare, I, I can't imagine. I mean, then how can we expect any other woman on the planet to get adequate healthcare? Um, much less, you know, young black women who are, are trying to advocate for themselves. I mean, gosh, it's just, we have to do, do better um, for them. Absolutely. Well, no, this has been awesome, but I know you want to, we need to talk about the webinar so that people know what, where to go and what to do if they want to participate. Sure. We are going to have a webinar um, called Putting Women, Putting Women's Health on the Ballot, and it is on October the 26th, 
at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 o'clock Eastern Time. We have a panel. Um, actually, we have, we're going to have four panels, if you will, um, and we're going to look at a lot of these topics that we just talked about with some incredible experts and including what people can do. And this is not just for women. This is women, men. You know, I, women's health affects everyone, mm-hmm. and we want to highlight those issues, again, both as you're making your choice um, in the election, but also uh, so you can educate your elected officials. And then afterwards, we're going to have a half-hour discussion session, which you and some of the other podcast hosts from Offscript Health Network are going to moderate so that we can have uh, an opportunity to chat about what we just heard, as well as, again, give some specific information. And then afterwards, we are going to have a resource um, page on our website, which is at beyondthepapergown.com, which is also where you can go to register. And even if you can't attend at that moment in time, we will send out the recording afterwards for those who did register. So I really hope that uh, everyone will join us and also engage in our discussion. Is there anything people need to do to register or they just go to beyondthepapergown.com? Right. And there's a, there's a, an icon that a says learn, learn more, more button um, and you click it and you just fill it out so that we can get you the zoom link and you're all set. And you heard it. Apparently I will be moderating. So that should be interesting <laughs> to say the least. You knew that. <laughs> so, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited. Um, and I love learning uh, from everybody about so many things that, I, I mean, admittedly, I just, I don't know enough about, and it's time to kind of grow up a little bit and make my no, voice heard. I just, you know, there's so much there. And again, I think, unfortunately, everything gets lost in these headlines and the, the drama right. Um, right. And, 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 and what, you know, again, pulls people's attention. But it's really these um, less uh, obvious ways that really impact on our everyday life um, in, a ways that, in ways that I don't think people understand. Right. Well, so people can find you where at the Beyond the Paper Gown podcast and on your yes. website, yes. anywhere else. That should do it. <laughs> that should do it. Well, Dr. Crockover, thank you guys. This has been fun and such a good episode. And go follow Dr. Crockover's podcast, subscribe. And as always, if you liked this episode, rate, subscribe, share for, with your friends so I can continue to get great guests. I'll see you next week. 